This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Mr. Hamilton. Mr. Stelter. Okay, so we're meeting on less than uh, exceptional terms here. Uh, we've had a bit of a rough week for wild sheep in mm-hmm. British Columbia. Um, yeah, so we sit there on this talk with Peter Gucha. He's a director with the Wild Sheep Society of BC. And uh, we, as many, I'm sure all of you know that we had a uh, event this past week in the Grand Forks area, Blue Tongue Virus. Um, that just a freak thing that's uh, affected our wild sheep and mm-hmm. huge mortality numbers in in BC here in uh, the Granby herd as it's known and uh, devastating effect. There's literally dozens of dead sheep on the ground in in the Grand Forks area. Yeah, like this wasn't even a planned episode. This was uh, holy crap. We need to put an episode together to get some information out there for the support we've had and the questions we've had and. Uh, clarify some information, dispel some information, and hopefully give people a better understanding of what's actually going on on the ground. Uh, Pete is the one you've seen in the pictures that are circulating on social media and on uh, news websites that's there. So we graciously got him on his behalf to take take an hour of his time to, to step away for a bit of a break to, to give the listeners a bit of a... Hands-on look at what's on the ground. Yeah, uh, you know this is a tough uh, topic to talk about, but to see this mortality in wild sheep, uh, you know, the irony is, is though, um, you know, across the landscape, we've seen with mycoplasma ovi pneumonia much higher numbers. You know, mm-hmm. we've seen the Fraser River sheep go from twenty-four, twenty-five hundred to what six, eight hundred sheep, six, seven hundred. Yeah. So. Um, you know, as as horrible as this blue tongue event is, uh, blue tongue virus event is, um, you know, Movi's even the bigger uh, sort of culprit in when it comes to wild sheep issues in British Columbia. Uh, but anyway, we, we want to get Pete on here is uh, input and, and what he's seeing on the ground there. We talk a little bit on the science edge of things. Obviously, we're not scientists or biologists, um, you know, um, and Helen Swansha, we're going to have her on the show here in a couple of weeks. So we reached out to Helen yesterday to talk about some of these issues and she's keen to talk to us. So we're going to have her on here. Um, you know, the scientists are the ones that should be commenting on this, but we're providing a little bit of background. We've been shared some information. We tried to dispel some of the myths on that. But um, again, so take take what we're telling you with a grain of salt. But what I can tell you is the stuff Pete tells you about what he's seen on the ground. That's for real. Um, and uh, just heartbreaking to see this blue tongue virus be so dev- devastating in Grand Forks. Yeah, I, I think 
the the main reason the blue tongue one seems so devastating is it because it happens so quick and there's there's 20 sheep all within a localized area within sight of the highway and it's just bang it's it went from hey what's going on with one of these mortalities to, to as pete gets into multiple callers dropping within hours and I, I think that's why blue tongue looks so devastating right now but as you say movi is the the long-term one that's uh really devastating the herds across british columbia you said fraser river and the other herds that we've uh worked on as well so yeah it's uh i, I don't even want to call it a good episode but i call it an informative episode yeah, absolutely. So we're not going to spend much time uh, setting it up here. Just uh, get, have a listen. Uh, Peter Gucci does a great job of explaining what's happening out there, what he's seen. Mr. Gucci, welcome to the show. How's it going? Uh, it's going, Kyle. It's been a hectic couple days here, but uh, still, still kicking. So, is that how you pronounce your last name? I've always pronounced it other ways. Like, how do you oh, actually pronounce it? Yeah, it's it's Gucci. I get I get Gucci Gucci. Uh, a few years back at the Wild Sheep Foundation Sheep Show, I actually won one of the raffle hunts, and I got it. It was Peter Gutsky uh, on the on the on the announcement, and I was standing there having a beer with uh, with a couple friends, and I'm like, I think that might be me. I'm not really sure, but yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Clarify. Get that out of the way immediately. Yeah. Yeah, so good to see you got your sense of humor. It's been a heavy week. Um, you know, um, you know, the reason we're here is to talk about uh, this disease event in Grand Forks and, and Granby. Uh, Peter, you've been on the ground. Um, and really, you know, you're kind of our lead guy on the ground when it comes to projects. You're out there with a lot of these projects. You've been very involved with uh, the Fraser River Project and now Grand Forks. So, um <clears throat> And you're a bit of a celebrity now, too. Apparently, you're going to be on the National tonight, so that's really cool. But uh, unfortunately, you know, the circumstance of events is not cool about it. So, uh, Pete, just give us kind of your high level, you know, what you've seen, what, you know, a timeline of events and, and uh, of, of what's gone on in the last week around this blue tongue virus that's affected these gra- uh, Granby sheep. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's all happened super quick, right? Uh, we first caught wind of it kind of internally um, last week on Friday um, when we knew that a couple callers had gone down in pretty short order. Um, and at that point, they just, you know, the the ministry staff, staff scrambles uh, whomever they can get out there. In this case, it was a couple of members from Okanagan Nation Alliance that, uh, that whipped down there from the Okanagan Valley, um, went straight to the mortalities, and then uh, they basically took took, I believe, three or four sheep uh, that first night um, and just organized to get them straight to, to Abbotsford to the lab for testing uh, to see what the heck was going on. So and for those, for, sorry, Pete, for those that don't know, can you explain what you mean by a collar going down? Like, what is a collar and how do you guys know what's going on with them? Yeah, so these GPS collars um, that uh, we funded through Wild Sheep Society of BC as well as Wild Sheep Foundation, uh, we had 12 collars out there. Um, and they get these ones uh, that you can change all the different settings on them, but these particular ones were pinging every four hours. And so you get, you basically, the, the biologists that are tracking this stuff, they, they get a, you know, a ping every four hours on their computer or whatever program they, they have going on there. Um, and it, and it shows the location of the sheep. Um, and then, so if they get one, uh, I guess, I guess if they get two in a row in the exact same spot, then it, it, it starts to send off a, a mortality signal, which, you know, just suggests hey, the sheep's not moving or the collar's not moving. It could be, you know, maybe they just slipped the collar. Who knows, right? Um, but so they 
they get, they get those things. And so, uh, yeah, our, our, our biologists here in the Okanagan had, uh, I think it was four, maybe I'm mistaken, maybe it was only three initially. Um, but it was, it was a, within a, a two hour period, you know, a couple of these callers dropped off and started showing the mortality signals. And so at that point, they just scrambled to get someone out there to investigate right away. Uh, wow. Okay. So, um, obviously on the ground there and right away, we're hearing about this. I know you reached out really early to me about it. Um, so what, what is, what, what was the cause or, or what's the thought? Cause I know Kylie Thacker, the provincial veterinarian for Flynn Row, um, she talked a little bit about that yesterday. I've seen a little bit about it. So, um, and if you get this, the wording wrong on how, how you say, say the disease, I get it. Uh, but, uh, give us uh, the high level stuff of what's going on with the actual disease. Yeah, so um, the uh, of course they need to get testing done um, to you know to confirm what they think it is. Um, they just from one of the ONA members there, Addison Fosbury. He's a biologist with with ONA, um, and so he was one of the guys that was out there right away. And and just from you know his knowledge of of wildlife, you know he was able to determine pretty quickly. Here's here's what I'm seeing on the ground. He's phoning. Uh, Craig McLean, our, our provincial bio here in Penticton, saying, hey, this is what I'm seeing. Um, anything else I should be looking for, that kind of stuff. And just trying to diagnose, you know, just on the ground firsthand what they what they maybe suspect. Um, we knew already through through testing uh, when we captured those sheep that it wasn't Movi uh, out there. there. You know, we know we know all about Movi going on here in the province, but uh, it wasn't that in that area. And so they um they ruled that one out kind of right away or they thought, you know, that's probably not what it is. Um, and, and one of the first things Craig asked Addison to look for was, um, you know, is there swelling in the mouth, anything of that, of that nature? And so, um, Addison checking that out, he, you know, he determined, yeah, it does look kind of like this, this blue tongue, uh, or I can't, I can't pronounce it very well, epizootic, uh, hemorrhage, hemorrhagic disease, I believe. Uh, again, I'm no bio, so that's probably as close as you're going to get, but, uh, they yeah they kind of they suspected that right away but they can't release that information they can't say this is what it is until until actual testing gets done in a laboratory um and then there's even subsequent testing in multiple laboratories so they did it initially in abbotsford then it gets sent out i believe to to um, winnipeg or something like that um for for you know just sending it to multiple labs to really confirm hey this is what we have going on we need to we need to know what it is before we can really say anything so um that was kind of the initial process. We were we were down at Jurassic for the weekend, right? And and I was talking with uh, a biologist down there, Chris Proctor from from Region Three, uh, and kind of just picking his brain over it too, because it's the first I had ever heard of of blue tongue. Um, and so yeah, just trying to get ahead of things and educate myself because I knew this was kind of coming out, and and uh, trying to scramble my my week at home here. Um, had a bunch of stuff on the go that I basically just dropped, you know, at the you know. From one minute to the next, and said, "No, I gotta, I gotta get out there and and see what this is, what what's happening." Right on, Pete. Well, we can't thank you enough for what you've done and being involved in that project and being on the ground and so involved with everything. And I know you're super passionate about those sheep as well. Uh, there's a couple things I want to talk about. First of all, um, uh, what causes this disease? Let's just talk a little bit about it. So again, you know, no secret, we're not bios, uh, we're not scientists, uh, but we have kind of done our research. I know Pete's been very involved with uh, the bios in the area. Uh, we re reached out to the retired uh, Flynn Rovet, uh, Helen Swansha, 
Um, Kylie Thacker's weighed in with some stuff that we're, we're getting a bit of a, a better understanding of it. But uh, Pete, do you want to talk a little bit about um, where Blue Tongue comes from, how it's transmitted and, uh, you know, why we really haven't heard about it, uh, that sort of thing. And, and I'll, I'll fill in a little bit too. I've talked to Helen on the phone yesterday about it. So again, don't rely on us as the non-scientists, but for our listeners, we'll give you a little bit of background on what we've learned about it. So. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, again, based on what I know so far, um, it, it's it's a totally naturally occurring uh, disease. It's carried in in midges or noceums, basically just flying little mini mites, uh, super tiny critters. Um, and I can vouch that there's a billion billion of them out there right now in Grand Forks. Um, and so they they serve as the vector. So they they pick it up typically from what I know from from a vertebrate, um, you know, that they're feeding off of then they carry this disease and um, and they just fly around and carry it. And then they go land on another animal, have another bite somewhere. And that's kind of how it, how it gets transmitted. Um, so typically this is not something we see in Canada. It's, it's usually more 30 to 40th parallel uh, kind of thing. Uh, it's, it has been seen, you know, up to the 50th parallels, you know, more recently. Um, but it's, it's throughout the world. It's not just a North North American thing. It's not, it's not a U.S. thing or anything like that. It's they, they have it in Australia. They have it in Asia. They, you know, it's everywhere. And so it's just a matter of, um, you know, the the mix coming together when it comes to climate. You know, we had a really hot, dry summer here uh, throughout the interior, throughout the province, for that matter. Um, and that's something that can exacerbate uh, things. It, it just lets those those uh, midges be more prolific than they would normally be. Um, and then also prevailing winds can kind of help to to do that too. So they, they we're finding that they, they're losing a bunch of whitetail down in Washington state around Colville right now. Um, we've heard rumors of, of whitetail dropping in Grand Forks, but I, I haven't seen that firsthand. I can't confirm that. Um, but those are kind of the two species that typically get more affected by this, um, at least on the wild side of things. Mule deer uh, and elk seem to be a little bit safer from it um, for whatever reason. I don't know that, but yeah, that's kind of, the transmission side of it okay right on yeah and when i spoke to helen yesterday she kind of mentioned that there are cases of outbreaks of it in canada it does happen from time to time she figured there was one back in 2018 um and uh, so we do see this occasionally but it's just not super prevalent um okay so one of the things let's talk about briefly is uh, how do we treat this what do we do how, how do we get rid of it um and when does it go away or, or is it going to kill all our sheep in bc how does it work yeah, so to, again, to the best of my knowledge, um, there's not really much we can do for it. Uh, really, it's it's a natural thing, and what we really need is to is a frost. You know, as soon as that as that temperature hits zero, those midges die, and then they can no longer transmit because they're dead. Um, so that's really what we need. There's there's rumors out there about salt and all these other different things, and um, they do. You know, salt serves to, or salt uh, uh, sorry, salt that is um, high in sulfur. Um, that is something that it keeps bugs off you. It doesn't do anything on the disease transfer side of things. It just, the bugs don't like you when you have more sulfur in your system. So same for us, like if you eat a lot of garlic, you typically don't get as many mosquitoes landing on you, that kind of deal. Um, but there's, it has nothing to do with the actual disease transfer side of it. Okay. Really good uh, info there, Pete. Thanks. Yeah. We're seeing some funny conspiracy theories, uh, people commenting on this and, uh, yeah, it's good to rely on to the, the scientists and hear from the Kylie Thackers of the world to really what, uh, 
you know, what, what's required. And, um, you know, of course, there's a lot of distrust of our government out there anyway. But, uh, yeah, definitely relying on the Kylies and the Helens of the world is, and the, the Craigs and, and uh, Chris's, that's the important part with regards to uh, mm-hmm. to what, what these sheep need. But, uh, okay, well, that's good background. Okay, so you were on the ground there, Peter. And, um, you, you know, you've seen firsthand, and, and I know it was a pretty emotional time for you. I, I've, I've kind of talk to you a little bit about it can you just tell us what what it looked like on the ground what you seen there what your experience was and um also you know i know you're there with uh, one of our former directors and a wild sheep society bc life member a real dedicated guy to wild sheep conservation and happens to be a domestic sheep farmer as well brad seaman so um i know brad's really uh, passionate conservationist um and, and uh, maybe just talk about that experience of being there and being out on the ground with uh, brad and what that was like yeah absolutely i mean brad was at jurassic last weekend too and so we were chatting about this a bunch and um him and i were going back and forth and and he was really the one he's like dude you got to get down here this is bad like he went out the you know the first morning when he got back from jurassic and uh he found the initial besides the collared sheep we already knew about he found another four uh four sheep um all use um that were that were deceased along the highway uh he you know he messaged me he's like dude you got to get here and i and so that's what at that point that's when i was scrambling to 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 take off my my truck was out of commission it broke down on the way back from jurassic so i'm phoning buddies and i'm like hey who's got a truck give me i need a truck and i'm gonna make a mess of it i'm sorry but like i gotta i just gotta get down there and so uh a friend of mine stepped up and so i just ripped down met up with brad um, again, he, like, he was integral to, to helping me see, see things. I would have just been looking, you know, driving around looking for stuff. I don't know that herd super well. I, I see it when I drive through, you know, going out to the Kootenays or whatever, but, um, he lives there. He sees those sheep all year round. He watches them lamb. He watches, he, he watches them yeah, year round. And so, um, you know, and I already knew, you know, what the mood was going to be because he, you know, he, he wasn't shy about saying his feelings already. And when he, when he first found those four sheep, you know, it was pretty devastating for him. Um, and so, yeah, we got together. He took me right out to those four sheep and, and, um, it was a hot day, but by the time we got out there it was already the afternoon. Um, and he slowed down cause he knew right where they were. And like, we rolled the windows down in the truck and like, you could just smell death right away. You could just smell rotting, rotting flesh. And, um, right off the bat you're just like oh this is this is not good this is it just hits you like it's one thing when you see something but when you get that smell associated with it too and it, it's it just hits you really powerfully and, and so um i mean i don't know sadness devastation you know pick pick your word whatever you want to use there i, I was feeling all that um and so yeah we we basically we got wind too from he was talking with a bunch of the local local landowners people were calling around already and so we we then since learned of another sheep that was down and so uh we first went to that first one checked it out um they were telling us it was a it was a ram and, and it would end up being a ewe but um anyway we walked around a little bit and and then moved to a, a second spot where that where his initial four were and as soon as we parked the truck i'm like Hey, there's one. Is that the one of the sheep right there? And he's like, no, that, that wasn't here this morning. And then, and then we look around and like, there's another one. And, and then we go, you know, it was literally like, and that's where I did the, you know, the, the Instagram story on my, on my private feed there, just kind of, it was from that evening where I don't know, I put the words together at the moment, but it was, it was just devastating, heartbreaking. Like he, 
literally didn't even have to look really hard. You just, there's dead sheep all around you. And, um, yeah, man, uh, they, they were perfectly fine two weeks ago. You know, there was nothing wrong with them. They were super healthy, happy animals living their life. And, and now they're just gone. They're just dead rotting there and, and they're no good to anybody for anything. Yeah, that's heavy stuff, man. Um, what are we looking at numbers? You know, I've heard, uh, 20, I think the media is reporting that. I, I've heard that. Are you still thinking it's that two, two dozen type thing? Obviously, no idea. There's two to 300. I think the Gilpin herd has two to 300. Am I correct in that roughly? Yeah, I've been hearing kind of from, from the bios here, 230 to 250 seems to be the, the consistent number they think of right now. Um, again, from going out with Brad, like he took me after we, after we went and looked at all those dead ones, you know, he took me on a bit of a tour up into the silt properties. Um, again, I had never been there before. so. He took me in there and um, he's like, oh, yeah, this is this is this place and this is that place. And normally there's 10 ewes over here and there's 20 up over there. And he, he goes there all the time. Like he knows those sheep. It's like me, you know, here in Penticton, I go and look at the Vassal sheep all the time. And I know, you know, I know basically every rock that they bet on and stand on and do their thing on throughout the year. You just you get to learn that when you get to see them that often. And and he was, you know, he was distraught. He was like, dude, there's no sheep here. Like we should have seen 50 sheep right now. And there's nothing. There's, there's not a single live animal anywhere in sight. And so, um, typically with this blue tongue, they estimate kind of a 60 to 80%, uh, die off. I, my gut feeling is it's worse than that. I can't really, I can't really say, you know, I can't say that for sure. Again, I'm not a scientist, but man, we're just, we're not seeing anything alive out there. We, I went back. So I came home after that initial trip, I was kind of just pretty messed up uh, mentally and, and just wanted to get home and see my kids and see my wife and have a shower and it just kind of reset. And then, um, and then yeah, I ended up going back out again yesterday. Um, again, I went with Addison from ONA and um, we went down there that we, we knew that CBC wanted to do um, some interviews with people that were on the ground and see stuff firsthand. And so we went out there and kind of did that with them. We we also had uh, a new a new collar location from from Craig, um, and so we went down with the telemetry gear to try to to try to find that animal. It had been not moving uh, much at all for the previous three four days, so, which is you know suggesting that probably it's not in a good health. Um, and so yeah, we just. Uh, went looking for that animal we we did still ping it on the on the antennas it was coming back as still being alive uh but we didn't get a visual sight line on it again we were with with the cbc fellows at that point and i gotta say they were they were class act i'm really excited to see what comes of this thing but um we didn't want to take up too much of their time as well because we wanted to show them some of the deceased animals that we knew of already um for their piece and yeah, I don't know. I assume that that animal's probably dead by now. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I am. Um, but there's just there's no there's no live animals. We went we went right back to the scene where Brad and I were, um, where we'd seen those eight eight dead sheep within again a couple hundred yards of each other, um, and there was two more fresh ones that were dead there uh, last night. So uh, yeah, uh, man, damn damn near broke down in tears there on the side of the highway again, and and just. Yeah, just devastation, distraught. Uh, horrendous, man. That's heavy uh, stuff. And uh, I know you guys are, you know, you know, it's one thing, uh, you know, I, I feel I feel it too. But to be there and experience that and see the carnage and see 
And it's something that, you know, we've invested as an organization, a lot of time, effort and money into, right? We, we believe in that herd. We want to see the future of those big horns and uh, to lose them. It just, you know, it's heart wrenching just sitting here at home, but to be there on the ground, I just can't appreciate what you're, you've gone through. And, and then a guy like Brad that lives there and that's his life. And, and uh, he goes and looks at those animals every day. Just, yeah. Um, and, and I guess the other thing, Pete, that I can't help but think it's, it's the middle of August, right? Um, we're not going to start getting cooler temperatures for a while. So, you know, it's one thing if uh, we're sitting here in November and we're expect, you know, it's been a warm fall and we're going to get a cold snap, but uh, you know, it's the end of August. I don't, you know, it could be very a long time before we get some more frost before these midges are affected by this. Right. Yeah, for sure. Again, I mean, I don't know if, I, I don't know that it's a blanket thing across a population. It seems kind of like they're all getting hit by it. So, you know, I, I don't know when the next frost is going to be. I looked at the at the weather reports for Grand Forks for the next couple of weeks or whatever, and it doesn't look like they're going to get one anytime soon. So, um, yeah, it's basically like wait and see. And as terrible as that is, it, it basically just kind of feel a little bit helpless. But all you mm -hmm. can do is try to continue to monitor. And then, you know, by the time fall rolls around, you know, I know that the um, the ministry staff and, and ONA and us and whoever else can get in there will we'll make sure that we get a good inventory and, and see what what's left and then we can kind of figure it out from there, right? Yeah, we, we've also been advised as far as I know that there is no treatment for this other than a cold night, right? There is no uh, broadcast spraying of pesticides that have been suggested. And as you said, the salt isn't working and we're not able to dart them and treat them. And that's... that's uh, basically what it boils down to all we can do right now is monitor and hope for cold right so uh, another question that people are asking is how quick does this virus act yeah so i can't speak too well to that um it seems like it's been pretty quick like we had no you know within basically within the last week here they're just all gone so they were they were to the best of my knowledge they were pretty fine still you know last week or at least early last week at the at the very soonest but um the, again, the, I think the first callers dropped, uh, you know, a week ago yesterday. So, um, and now we're basically seeing just new dead sheep every day. So, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the little bit of reading I did on it uh, from that uh, vet manual you and I passed back and forth said that they can be bit and show no symptoms. Then all of a sudden, bang, they just start dropping. And as you're seeing against the fence there, there was, there's one of the pictures you posted was, was three, three, three sheep together and they've all piled up because it just suggests how quick it does act when it finally does take hold. Right. Yeah. There, there was another U um, that had died like 20 yards from them. And then one of the fresh ones from last night was right beside them as well. So there's, you know, there's five sheep within 20, 30 yards of each other right there. It's, it's crazy. That's unreal. Yeah. Another one that was brought up while we're speaking of that is uh, why were you not wearing PPE? Is there a risk to humans with this? No, there's no transfer to humans there. It's it's totally safe, um, and and I'm getting that knowledge from our biologists, from you know, from the wildlife vet. Like it's 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 fine. You, you're not you're not going to catch something out there. Uh, you know, um, it, we don't get it from those. As much as the the noceums, they're around the midges. There, they were all over us when we were out there. But uh, we're not really feeling too concerned about that. You're definitely probably more at risk of uh, dealing with a with a rotting animal from whatever could be you know, mm -hmm. lurking there than, than anything else. And so that's why, you know, I know we put out in our press release, like, Hey, don't, don't go touching these animals, like leave them be. Um, and so, yeah, just 
please, please respect that is what I would ask anyone listening to this is that, you know, there's a lot of that's private land out there. I had access, um, you know, from the, from the landowners on the places that I was as well as uh, when I was with Brad. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, we got to be respectful there. There's a lot of people that they own that land and, and, uh, the sheep are dead on there and it's, it's not our business to go running around on it. Um, yeah, that end, we, we want to essentially preserve the scene for the biologists to do what they want with the, the carcasses, right? And I hate even saying that word that we're referring to them as carcasses because, yeah, it's it's finality of it, right? And you can see pictures and video and all that, but yeah, it's it, I couldn't even imagine being there, Pete, just brutal. Uh, so Pete, let's just back the bus up a little bit. Um, I guess one of the questions, um, for our listeners is, uh, why are these sheep colored? So, you know, Wild Sheep Society BC, Wild Sheep Foundation are involved with, uh, the regional biologists and coloring these sheep. Do you want to talk a little bit about the, the coloring project there and that sort of stuff? And, and the, the main reason, um, I guess it's pretty clear that, you know, the colors aren't on for blue tongue virus. That's not why they're there. So do you want to just touch on that a little bit for us? Yeah, for sure. So, um, we know we've been monitoring that, that herd as we, as we're doing with, with as many herds as we possibly can monitor. Uh, and it's, you know, it's driven a lot by our provincial biologists. So, so Craig McLean, uh, you know, you know, he, he wanted to get some callers out there and, and I believe he came to us and WSF and we were, we were like, heck yeah, let's, let's, let's fund that and get some callers on there. Um, they were losing lambs. Uh, and they suspected it was Movi, I believe, at the time. And so, getting the callers on there was was critical to that to to see. Sorry, uh, get phone calls come in. Um, so, so we were, yeah, we collared those animals initially because of you know suspecting that there may be Movi in the area. We tested animals. We figured out that was not the case. And then um, it's you know putting collars on those animals gives us so much knowledge about their how they're using their range. And so for us, it's like, you know, we did those purchases with, with uh, the Southern Interior Land Trust where we funded over $100,000. Um, you know, Wild Sheep Alberta helped with that as well. Um, you know, we're just trying to find out, hey, how, how are these animals using the land? How can we improve the habitat for them to make sure that, that they stay healthy, right? And so that's the main reason that those callers were out there in the first place was to get a, get a baseline uh, herd assessment in the area. And I guess with the blue tongue thing, it, the reason we were able to find it so quickly was because of those callers, right? Because those callers went down in such a short order, you know, we're basically hitting the the panic button here internally and going, okay, we need to figure this out right away, what it, what's going on here. And so, you know, otherwise the sheep would have, they would have died the same way. You know, we just wouldn't have learned about it quite as quickly. And we wouldn't, you know, we might not have been able to assess what it was because by the time we get to the body, it's, it's totally rotted out. And I mean, I can, as gross as this is, I can attest to the ones that I saw with Brad on Tuesday evening and then seeing them again, um, last night on Thursday, you know, Thursday evening, uh, they looked a whole lot different. Um, and uh, you wouldn't want to touch them at this point. Like they're disgusting. Yeah. Unbelievable. All this heat as well. And then, uh, course they're going to start getting uh you know predators on them birds and that sort of stuff so yeah not a pretty sight i just can't imagine um yeah so you brought up um the coloring project and that really the, the heart of this is around uh you know trying to determine the cause of any lamb mortalities that we've been seeing the past few years and and the suspect again being movi mycoplasma ov pneumonia so 
um, really that's the reason they're there, but this was a great catalyst or tool for us to learn about this early. Um, so, you know, the Wall Street Society of BC um, is obviously very invested in that Gilpin herd in, in region four there. Um, we, we put money towards the Southern Interior Land Trust uh, land purchase. They bought uh, DL-492 and DL-493, um, and our members put money towards this. This has been a big uh, undertaking for the society. So it's heartbreaking uh, to see this, and you kind of go, oh, man, we put all this money, time, and effort into these sheep, and here we are. But just like anything else, it's it's not completely at a loss. Obviously, we've lost these sheep now, uh, but there's going to be a recovery. What What's... What's kind of the next steps that you see? Like we can't do anything about the disease and the blue tongue aspect of it. Um, you know, what should we be thinking about? What can our members do to support this? Um, what can other people do to support this um, in terms of moving forward, Pete? Yeah, I mean, for this specific herd, I really we got to kind of wait and see for right now. Um, I know when they were transplanted there back in the 80s, it wasn't a large number that was transplanted. So as long as we get, um, I, I think... I think the number is kind of in the 30 to 50 range. If we, if there's that many animals still left by the end of this, um, then it's completely expected that they'll recover um, on their own. And so for us, it's really like, what can we do? Can we help to improve that habitat still in the meantime? Um, can we, well, obviously, we'll, <clears throat> excuse me, obviously we'll continue to, to monitor them, probably put out more GPS collars on the remaining animals so that we can really keep track of them. I would assume that's going to be something we'll do here moving forward. Um, but really, it's it's just that, you know, it, the fact that we had that stuff out there in the first place, the fact that we put this money down on the ground um, and we learn this stuff quicker. You know, in this case, this is a pretty, pretty freaky disease that just hits so hard and so fast that, it yeah, you kind of get a little a little devastated by it. But um, we know, you know, through through our, our movie works that we're doing along the Fraser that we're making a positive difference on sheep right now with, with some diseases out there. And, um, you know, it's not just for the grand be heard here. It's not just to, you know, leave them be and, and whatever, like we'll, we'll continue to do whatever we can to, to try to increase that population. But, um, we know we're on the right track with other stuff as well. And, and we're just going to continue to push forward. Uh, right on, man. Well said. And, and you know, for you listeners, uh, for maybe they're not a member of the society, uh, you know, this is kind of your opportunity to, uh, you know, get involved um, and be more proactive and, and do more for those sheep. Uh, I know our members do a ton. Um, with the silt land acquisition, we had a ton of people step up uh, putting money towards us. Uh, we had one of our Monarch members put $25,000 to the second land purchase that we did. Um, so we'd, we'd love to have more people involved. Um, the more we have involved, the more work we can do for advocating for these animals. Yeah, this was a freak thing. There's nothing much we can do, but moving forward, uh, we do know that Movi is a thing. Um, we were concerned in that herd and we were getting some data on that. And that project will continue. Um, Craig's going to redeploy those um, callers and we'll keep monitoring that herd and, and see if we can... Uh, you know, try and pinpoint those disease issues and where we're going. So, um, yeah. So for anyone listening, I would love to have you sign up as a member and, and support what we're doing and, and just keep the good work going. And, and that Gilpin herd will be back. Um, you know, it's going to take some time. It's obviously a huge loss. We don't know the extent of the loss at this point, but as we learn these things, um, There'll be a lot of stuff that we can do. The, the big thing that our project's chair, Chris Barker, said is, hey, we need to hammer the habitat piece now, right? So 
Um, you know, we've got a great working relationship with the Southern Interior Land Trust, supporting them through that land purchase. And that's one of the things moving forward is that we'll continue to do. We'll hopefully uh, we can really focus on these habitat pieces and really uh, preserving that land and making sure there's healthy habitat for those sheep to thrive for years to come. So, um, yeah. So, Pete, you know, you, you've been kind of our lead as a, the director in, in Region 3 and Region 5 on the Fraser River. Um, you've been active in many other areas as well, certainly in the interior. But, uh, you know, I guess that's one of the things and and somebody mentioned to me is this is kind of an opportunity to, to bring awareness around Moby. So, you know, do you want to talk about Region 3 and Region 5 and some of the successes we've seen there? Um, you know, the thing is, is lots of times we hear these sheep stories and they're like, sob, boo-hoo, and, and this is another classic case. But we've actually got some success stories out of uh, the Fraser River. So do you want to just touch a little bit on that project and, and how important it is to us and some of the good work that's being done there? Yeah, absolutely, Kyle. Um, yeah, I've been so fortunate just to be able to get out there on the ground. And I know there's a ton of a ton of folks reach out to me and they're like, hey, I want to get out more. And I we, I we got to say no all the time because we, you know, we just, there's certain things we can get members out there for and certain things that we can't. And a lot of the times, you know, even me, I mean, I want to get out on everything and I, and I keep getting told no by the biologists. So um, once in a while they say yes, and I jump at the chance and, um, but no, out, out there, we, you know, we're, we're now on um, year three of this Fraser River uh, Bighorn project. And, uh, you know, the first year we went out there, uh, it was strictly just a, a capture, net gunning, capture, um, collaring, uh samples for blood hair fecal everything you can think of we took it um and then we just released those animals within like a five minute period um and that was really that was the initial herd health assessment and so we went up and down the fraser on both sides from you know just north of lillooet up to around the high bar area um and just to kind of see like you know movi was suspected th throughout um and uh confirmed by by those samples that we took and then um you know with through chris proctor the regional biologist in in kamloops um you know they determined specific uh u groups or nursery groups that they wanted to target that had um two main factors one was high prevalence of movi and the second one was uh low connectivity to other sheep in the area like sheep always move in there but uh the nursery groups tend to stay in a smaller range. It's usually the rams they're traveling around. And so um, on year two, we went back in. That was last year, uh, late February, early March, um, kind of right as COVID was developing, um, just before we got shut down in Kamloops, all of that business there. Um, we went in there and did a, a capture and remove project. So we went, we went after a specific herd um, near Ward Creek it had 47 animals in it, and we captured every single one with the, you know, amazing piloting skills of Ben Barakoff, who, you know, he is, man, I can't say enough good things about that guy. He's he's just incredible. He's the guy that just donated the Rosie Hunt to us that we drew. Like, that, that guy gives so much back to us. He, he basically does that work for free, um, you know, and that's, we're talking about flying a helicopter around for hours and hours every day. That's not cheap. You know, he, he basically just does it at cost. And so um, we went in there, we captured every single animal in that herd over the span of about seven to eight field days. Um, we found out that there were uh, eight positive animals within that group. Um, and 
I should say too, like this was in collaboration with uh, Lillooet Tribal Council and uh, High Bar, like a number of First Nations were in there. We, you know, and representatives were with us while we did uh, did this work. We also had um, Filter Studios there working on our movie film at the time. Um, and they, they got all of this documented. Um, I took some photos along the way as well, and just to try to raise as much awareness as we can. But so we, we, we ended up euthanizing 11 sheep there that were positive, um, uh, which was heartbreaking. You know, the, you know, that the sheep are sick, but you don't want to just kill it. You know, that's, that's pretty brutal. So, um, but anyway, we had conservation officers there to help us do that stuff. Uh, Helen Schwancha, who was at the time still the provincial wildlife vet. Uh, she was she was there kind of leading things alongside Chris Proctor. And so we we removed those those views that were positive. And um, we then went back and again, this was in February, March. We then went back and did our Fraser River sheep counts the, next, the following summer. So a few, just a few short months later after they had lambed, um, we went in specifically looking to see uh, if the lambs were surviving, because typically with Movi, uh, they'll die within the first two months of life. Um, and so that's just a product of sheep being super social animals. They, they rub noses with each other all the time and do all that stuff. And they just spread disease, you know, really quickly that way. And so we were so pleasantly surprised throughout the summer that, Hey, these, you know, we found that, that, that very same, um, nursery group. And, you know, I, I know firsthand I was there alongside a fellow director, now secretary, Greg Rensmag. He was helping out a ton there. Um, we had a number of members out there helping us for these counts. And we're seeing, you know, almost a one-to-one -one ratio of ewes and lambs uh, throughout the summer. And, you know, it, we expected to see that in June. We weren't sure if we were going to see it in July, and we did. We saw it again in August. And and we were just like, heck yeah, this is, this is working. Um, ministry staff went in and did a, a, an aerial survey. Uh, I believe it was in November. And they confirmed the same things. We were looking at, um, you know, a 50 to 60% lamb retention in the area where previously nothing was surviving the first couple of months. So that's just massive. Like that is a massive, massive success. Um, you know, we can't say that, and I can't go and say right now that that's going to be the case for forever. I don't know. There's, you know, but, but that's a heck of a first step. And that's, that's inspiring all of us uh, and you know uh, the ministry staff and everyone included on this project were like okay we need to we need to get the ball rolling on this we need to get serious about this we need to do this this entire 150 kilometer corridor along the fraser because we can get we can get rid of movie we you know we believe that now and we know that it's happening down in the states as well and they're and they're seeing you know similar results so yeah i mean mo moving forward i'm so excited about that um you know, it's it's a big project. It's going to take us another seven, eight years probably to do that. And you know, it's going to we're looking at probably 150k per year, something like that for that. It's it's going to be big. It's not a it's not a small thing. But um, those sheep populations right now in that entire area are sitting around 650 animals, where traditionally they were 2,500. So, you know, if we can get them back to that. That is that is a hell of a conservation story, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I think what it does, Pete, is it it's our legacy, right? This is our opportunity to leave a legacy for the future of wild sheep in British Columbia. We can actually transform the landscape. Um, like you said, they went from that 2,500 down to these, 
you know, all-time low numbers and not recovered. We know Moby's the issue that's been proven now. Scientists know this. The biologists know this. Um, and with this new, uh, basically, test and remove, you know, uh, approach to it, which has been proven, uh, very well proven in Hell's Canyon and, and to a lesser extent here in BC now recently with the Fraser, we can change the face of uh, wild sheep in British Columbia, th these big horns can come back to those traditional numbers and, and we can do our part. So I, I'm really excited about it. The, the downside is, is it comes at an eight year cost and 1.1 million is what, you know, Chris Proctor is telling us that we're going to need to invest in it. So we got some heavy lifting over the next seven or eight years to do, but I can tell you people are passionate about it. Our members are passionate about it. They step up, um, they're getting involved. And there's another of other organizations that have stepped up as well. We've seen the Wild Sheep Foundation contribute to this project. Obviously, uh, HCTF, a no-brainer. Even Cabela's, uh, they donated $5,000 a few years back. Um, but we have Abbotsford Fish and Game Club. They stepped up this year, $17,500 towards this project. Uh, Midwest uh, Wild Sheep Foundation has contributed. So a lot of benefactors there that want to be involved in this. And uh, I'm really encouraged, you know, we're, we're seeing some, Chris Proctor said it best to me, he goes, I never get to tell success stories in, in my job. He goes, it's always doom and gloom, you know, wildlife in BC, it's so challenging. There's so many uh, struggles, you know, loss of habitat, all these disease issues. And he goes, you know, he, I wake up in the morning, I think about these sheep because we're actually doing something that benefits wild sheep and it's a success story in my job. And so he's, he's jacked about it. I'm jacked about it. Uh, I know you are. And I think that, you know, as an organization, we can really leave a legacy for wild sheep in the province. And I think we're going to make a difference. Uh, we, we already have made a small difference, but I think that we could leave a legacy behind us that people will talk about 100 years from now. So pretty encouraging stuff. And I thank you for all your commitment work that you do in the field all the time with that, Peter. Well, it was, uh, you know, it was the it was the die off of that herd that was kind of the the beginnings of Wild Sheep Society B.C., Right. That it's it's that herd dying off in the mid mid 90s that, you know, concerned, concerned the the original guys that started this up. Um, and, you know, I wasn't around at that time, so I can't speak for them. But um, they were worried about, you know, about the California bighorns all along the Fraser River. And, you know, now science has caught up to things. We, you know, back then we didn't know what the heck it was. And now we do. And now we know how to solve that problem. And so, man, I'm just honored to be a part a small tiny part of of this project and i'm going to continue to do everything i can and, and i'm going to continue to tell everybody i know about it and and promote it and and encourage people to continue to you know whether that's a you know step up in whatever form you can if that's monetary that's awesome if that's volunteerism your time that's awesome if it's if it's likes and shares of posts on on social media that's also awesome like everything helps right now and so you know, we're just going to continue doing what we do. And um, there's going to be new people stepping in at all times. You know, it's going to just continue. We're, we're showing that that good work can be done and, and we'll continue to do so. Yeah, right on, man. And, and you know, you, you're kind of our poster boy, Pete. You know, you're out in the ground, you're doing the heavy lifting. But then on top of it, uh, you're, uh, you're advocating, uh, you've stepped up, you're a Monarch Silver member, which means that you've donated a bunch of your personal money to this cause um, and just can't thank you enough for, for your commitment to to Wild Sheep. And, uh, you know, this this past week and all the, the media outreach you've done, just fantastic and really, really grateful for everything that you've been doing, man. Um, 
So with that, um, any last thoughts or parting words or anything, anything we need to think about or anything we missed on the podcast? And uh, otherwise, I'll let you get back to your day. I know you got a busy day planned again with this, uh, with this Grand Forks uh, debacle. So, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think we've kind of already hit most of it. It's just you gotta. I don't know. I, I like to stay positive, right? This is this is crappy. What's happening in in Grand Forks right now? There's there's no denying that. But um, but we're also seeing successes. You know, we're also contributing to positive habitat enhancement throughout the province we're pushing for burns up north we're pushing for burns down south we're you know we're in we're in the weeds everywhere right now and man that's that's everyone on our board that's we're having members come up to us suggesting new projects that we should be looking at um it's inspiring it continues to inspire me every day uh i sit here and you know forget a new email you know from from Chris Barker or from Josh Hamilton up north or whatever, or Robin Rutledge, like we're all, everyone's pulling their weight. Everyone's doing what they can. Um, and it just, we all continue to inspire each other and, and new members come and reach out to us all the time and they're inspired. And, you know, it, it's like this, just, I got to get a little gushy about it. Like it's, it's, it's really special to, to be um, a part of this. And I'm truly excited for the future as much as, um you know we are seeing some some bad disease stuff go on like we're doing so much good right now and and it's not just a tutor on horns we we truly are we're making a difference on the landscape uh for wild sheep and it's just incredible to be a small part of it well said man and you know i i think you know you talk about the positivities uh you know there's still some great property there and yeah we have this had this die off um this blue tongue virus is going to go away. We know that it's not a perpetual thing. Movi is a much bigger thing as we alluded to already. So, you know, there's more work to be done there, but um, the cool thing is, is uh, through our partnership and working and supporting uh, Silt Southern Interior Land Trust, uh, we've set that land aside. So that land there is there for perpetuity. So it's really encouraging. So what we really need to do now is focus on that habitat component, make sure that land is healthy and, and protected so that those wild sheep can come back and have healthy populations and thrive uh, for generations to come. So yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. There's a bit of a dark cloud with the blue tongue thing, but the cool thing is, is it's not permanent. It's going to go away. Hopefully this is a flash in the pan that we'll never see again and, and we'll build this herd back up and uh, see healthy sheep on the landscape back in Grand Forks for centuries to come. So, uh, my friend, I want to thank you for all you do for the society. Thank you for taking the time to meet with us today. I know, you know, just trying to coordinate this was really challenging. You're like, oh, I'm meeting with CBC today and I'm meeting with the Gazette here. and that. So, um, you know, thanks for making it a priority for us. I, I know that you're in high demand now and just fantastic work. And thank you for all you do as a director for the society. We're just so grateful. Uh, thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Steve. Uh, absolute pleasure to be on here with you guys and we should do it more often. On better terms absolutely. though. <laughs> on better terms. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Have a great day, Pete. Hey, you too guys. Take care.